We're in Luke chapter 1 this morning. We are looking at this account of the birth of Christ as we began a couple of weeks ago, looking to the covenant promised to Abraham and Israel for the Messiah. And we saw last week the announcement from Gabriel to Mary. And now we have a song, a song that uh, comes from Mary that we have recorded for us <clears throat> Have you ever been in church before, in a service, and everyone is singing, and you just weren't into it? You ever had one of those times where you're like, either I don't like this song, I don't know this song, uh, or I know this song, and I don't feel like singing because I'm mad, or I'm upset, or I'm down because of this? I would say that sometimes we just go through the motions when we gather with God's people to sing praises. At the same time, have you ever just spontaneously broken into song, singing praises to God? When I lived in Los Angeles, I realized many times there's a lot of people there, a lot of cars on the road, and many times a lot of hours in traffic. And for some reason, something came to mind, and I began to sing praises to God and had some of the weirdest looks as I looked to my right and left. And I found that as I do that here with less people, it's even more obvious. Today we look at this song that Mary sings when she's visiting her relative Elizabeth. Uh, many uh, people title this as the Magnificat, that people uh, know this as a song that they can sing as well. And what we see is Mary, who's under the influence of the Holy Spirit, breaks out singing joy uh, with gratefulness, thankfulness, and praise to Lord God Almighty. So this morning in Luke chapter 1, the big idea is sing and rejoice for the blessings that flow from the nature of God. I'm going to begin in verse 39. And this morning of Luke chapter 1, we're going to draw our attention to verses 46 through 56. But I would like you to uh, see um, the setting that is taking place. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. <clears throat> the word of God. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we ask that in this moment today, this gathering of your people, a holy moment in which your spirit resides in our hearts. We want to praise you. We want to give great thanksgiving to you. We want to do it rightly. And Father, sometimes our hearts are not ready or prepared to do that. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take the word that we've just read, that you would work in our hearts, that you would remind us of the great and wonderful glory th- glorious things that God, you have done for us. And may we rejoice in Jesus Christ. We ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want us to draw our attention to verses 46 through 56, which is this song that Mary breaks into. If some of you have read through other Old Testament books like 1 Samuel, there will be reminders of this uh, when you think of Hannah and the song that she sang that's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But if you think about uh, when we sing uh, praises to God, when we gather corporately or individually uh, praising God and worshiping Him, what is the posture that comes to your mind? Is it a raising of hands like the book of Psalms says to? Is it clapping your hands like the Psalms write? Is it singing out? Is it standing silently in awe before the Lord? Is it laying prostrate before the Lord? Is it kneeling? Is it sitting? What is the posture that comes to your mind when you think of worshiping God Almighty for His glory and for His greatness? We want to look for a minute here at Mary and really her posture and prayer, how she approaches God. She is visiting Elizabeth, one of her relatives who's pregnant with John the Baptist, which we studied at the beginning of this year in our study of Luke. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. The the baby in her room jumps for joy, led by the Holy Spirit, because Mary walks in the room carrying the Son of God, Jesus. And this exuberant praise begins to happen. And from that, Mary exclaims this wonderful, uh, this wonderful words, which we have. But before we examine it and look at it more, I would like you to turn to Second Timothy, chapter three. Because some of you may look at the words of Mary, this song of Mary, and just think, oh, it's another song you sing. And we must not ever forget the words that we read from from the Bible. The Holy Word of God is the Word of God, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what Mary said, what was sung, is the words of God for us today. Second Timothy chapter three says this in verse 16 and 17 about all of scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Is that important to know? 
Very important, especially when we read what some would think it's a story or it's the account of what Mary said. No, it's the words of God, which we have recorded here by the Holy Spirit, breathing those words out. And so as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke this year, Luke is trying to make a historical, accurate account. He may have even uh, interviewed Mary and then writes forth these things which she spoke, which is therefore by the word of God. Clearly, his word for us to look to this morning. When you read this, if you go back with me to Luke chapter 1 and verse 46 through 48, actually through the whole text, you see that Mary seems to be very familiar with what we have as the Old Testament. She seems to be very familiar with the history of the nation of Israel and the workings of God. And it just flows from her mouth as she praises the Lord. I would encourage you and myself that we must be people of the word of God. And what I mean by that is John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus speaks about the vine and the branches. And here's what he says to you if you're a follower of Christ. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to hide the word of God in our hearts. We need to know the word of God and read it. Not just say that we got through the Bible reading at one time, but continuing to be in it so that we would rightfully worship God, led by the Holy Spirit, because we know the word of God. Instead of trying to invent something new or try to create something that has not been said or done before, we have the word of God which directs our worship, which directs our praise, which directs what we should declare to God Almighty. And this is what Mary does. Look at verse 46. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. It means to my soul makes great the name of God. My soul magnifies. It celebrates the Lord God. My soul lifts the Lord high. Do you have a high view of God Almighty? If you read his word and the Holy Spirit teaches it, teaches you those truths, you will see the Lord highly exalted. And your response in singing, in, in, in being quiet and standing in awe before the Lord, in kneeling, in whatever way that the Lord directs you to worship him, you will magnify his name because you know who he is. And from out of her soul, she magnifies the Lord. Verse 47 says, my spirit, what? says, rejoices in God, celebrates God, exceeding rejoicing with gladness is what it means. Have you ever been so joyful in what God has done before? Have you ever been so struck by something that God did that you realize you're like, whoa, and you just thank God. And you, I mean, you may have the weirdest looks around or maybe you're by yourself, but you exceedingly Praise God, God, because the gladness and joy in your heart. I love those moments. It's like you can't even control them in one sense. It's because the Holy Spirit moves your heart and fills your heart with joy. And for all who have salvation in Christ, there is joy that results from that salvation. And we see this as motivation for her to praise and worship God. 
But I would ask you again to examine your heart. What is your posture in worship? And what I want you to think about this morning is not just worship in a service like this. But wherever you go, everything you do throughout the day, whatever you say, whatever you think about, all of those acts of our life are to be completely and wholly an act of worship to God. Read Romans chapter 12. This is the, that aspect that as we live and walk, the Holy Spirit fills us, drives us, moves us. And in that, we worship God with our life. So how is the Lord directing you to worship him in reverence, in awe, lifting his name and giving him glory? Or is it being stuck in going through motions? I got to get up and do this today. I need to do this because Jesus did. I mean, truly, I believe when we are reading the word of God and the Holy Spirit moves us, the glorifying of God and worshiping of him Maybe this is the wrong choice of words is much easier than just going through our day and neglecting to spend time with him. <clears throat> and I believe the posture of our heart in worship reflects, again, who it is, the one that we worship. Look at the second point here in verse 46 through 49. The person that we worship or for some people, a thing uh, is what you put your hope in. You put your hope in what you worship. It's either a person, it's a thing, or it's God Almighty. What do you put your hope in? What do you put your hope in in life? Because the way you worship will reflect what you put your hope in. If you put your hope in your job, in your family, in the things of this world, in the riches of the world, in all the things that you have physically now, you will not rightly worship God. Because you're worshiping something. Some of you may worship a person or people that you so love greatly when God calls for all of your worship. It is so important again, and maybe I say this repeatedly every single week, and I pray that it's something that moves your heart. You must take time to be in the word of God. Because if you're in the Word of God, you will read about our holy, righteous, wonderful, glorious, magnificent, mighty God. And that will drive your life of worship daily. Because the, the problem is if we don't read the Word of God and we don't reflect on who God is, who we are worshiping, we tend to put God in a box and we limit how powerful he is. And we put restrictions here and we think of God only in this way, just like we did before we came to Christ. And so many people get stuck and think, well, he's a wrathful God and he's a judging God and he does this and he does that. Oh, but he's good here. And it's like, wait a minute. Is that just your mind telling you? how to worship God in the way that your mind thinks, or is your heart driven by what the Word of God says? This is our glorious God, and this is the one who deserves all your praise and all your worship and all of thanksgiving and glory. If we read the Word of God, I believe it shapes how we worship because we know more who we worship. Look at Mary here again, verse 46 through 48. She rightly praises God for Lord means master. 
It means also Messiah. It points to Jesus, that Jesus is given this title. When we read through the gospel accounts in the New Testament, Jesus, our Lord. And so she rightly says, I magnify the Lord. I praise the Lord. And if you begin to think and reflect on that word, it means so much more when we worship God than to just throw out that word or name, Lord. Remember that Gabriel previously in the verses that we read last week has already come to Mary and she's pointed out that you're going to have a son and it's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. His name's going to be Jesus and he's going to save his people from their sins. She already knows this when she shows up at Elizabeth's house and she's been told that this son, Jesus, is the son of the Most High. And so not only is she praising the Lord God Almighty, she's rightly praising him because he is Lord. Verse 48 She says that my spirit rejoices in God, my what? Savior. Here again, she has a right perspective of who the baby that she's carrying is. She worships and praises God because he is the Savior. And this is one of those important little phrases that maybe you just go by when you sing this song or when you read this text. But Mary sings with great joy and she worships God because he poured out his grace upon her. Mary knows that she is a sinful person. Mary knows that she does not deserve at all to carry Jesus as, and, and give birth to him. This is what she says to Gabriel as we saw last week. This is what she points out now in the sense that she's the humble servant of the Lord, that she knows and realizes that God has poured out his grace upon her, not for anything she ever did right, not for who she is, but simply God chose her to pour out his grace upon her. She is in a right position as we read in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. Jesus says to the people there, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Mary fits right in with those who are blessed because she realizes that she's spiritually bankrupt. She realizes she has nothing that she can give to God for God to accept her or to pour out his grace upon her. And so she praises God as Savior. She acknowledges there in that verse this humility that we see in her. um, And it's something that we should pay attention to. Again, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the Holy Spirit convicts our heart so that we see our sin and we realize that we are spiritually bankrupt and we need help. Because when we come to that realization and we understand the word of God or we hear this, then all we have to look forward to is eternal death, separation and hell from God. I love the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians... We read of the hope that we have in God because when we're faced as spiritual bankrupt people, facing death, separation, eternity in hell for our sins. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this, but God, I love that part. Hey, you're facing all this because of your wickedness, but God being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And if you continue reading, we understand that there's no works we can do. There's nothing we can say. There's nothing that is in us ever that can save us. But we're saved by the grace of God. And the Holy Spirit reveals that to us. And here, Mary rejoices in God, her Savior, because the Holy Spirit has revealed this to her. Verse 49 in the text says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. When we just read that passage in Ephesians 2, it says, But God. It points to the fact that God sent his son, Jesus, who we celebrate his first advent during this Christmas, his first coming, the birth of Christ, in which God, the Son, puts on humanity, fully God, fully man, so that he is the one that could go to the cross and die for the sins that we have committed against the Lord God Almighty. But she rightly praises God there in verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. God's name is holy. God's name is holy. Because he's without sin. He's never committed any wickedness. There's no darkness in God. God is holy. Again, she has a rightful picture of God. Because she knows the truth of God's word. And the Holy Spirit brings that to her heart. Think about how Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven. And then what? Hallowed be thy name. His name is holy. Have you ever thought through, dwelt on scripture and the names of God? Have you ever read through a list of the names of God? When you read through just even the names, it's powerful. It's amazing how God uses his word and his names to cause the follower of Christ to praise and worship him. And so we should be a people who are in awe and in reverence when we come to God and worship him. So we want to have the right posture And we do that by knowing who the person is. And we see in verses 48 through 55, the reason we worship. Here is the reason that she gives us for why she magnifies the Lord, why her spirit rejoices. Here she gives us an account of what she knows, as we, we would say, the Old Testament history that she has understood and been passed down and been taught these things. For us, the reason we worship, the reason for all who worship God worship is simply because of his grace and his mercy upon us. If you boil it all down and think to this and and, and when you worship God, the reason we worship God is because he's given you his grace and he's poured out his mercy upon you through his son and nothing, nothing said that he had to ever do that. That's why Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, risen again, is all of grace for us. The mercy of God upon us who are sinners. She says in verse 48, 
The first of the two reasons why she worships God. And the first one is what God has done for her. Mary thinks of what God has done for her, which she has just found out recently through the angel Gabriel and also looking through time and what has happened in verse 48, this looking on the humble estate of his servant, that she is a servant of God as we saw her response to the angel Gabriel. She never says there's anything in her that makes her blessed. She never says there's anything in her for God to choose her. Some people may argue that. But she was a sinner in need of a savior. And God said, Mary, you're going to be my servant. And she said, I am willing. Something that we should take note of. We should take note of what God has done in our life. That it would humble us. That we would find a right posture in worship. And we would have a reason to worship him. First Peter chapter 5 verses 6 says, humble yourself Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And we see here in these verses, 48 through 55, point out God's work in her life and God's work in the nation of Israel. She talks about how this has caused a humility in her. But she also points out how God exalts his people and lifts them up for his glory, not for their glory. So in verse 49, she says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Is God mighty? Is God powerful? She worships God, and the second reason for it is that God has done an amazing work that we see throughout the Old Testament history for his people. Turn to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. In Isaiah chapter 59, it says, Behold, There it is, verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. And so the reason we read that verse is God has done great and mighty things for his people. He has brought his people out of slavery. He has brought his people into his promised land. He has done wonderful things when you read through the Old Testament. And what he saw when he saw his people was that there was no one, not one person ever who's lived that he created that could do the mighty work that was needed to save his people. Therefore, that is why God in his mighty, powerful arms says, I will step in that. But God passage in Ephesians, that God is the one who says, I cannot rely on any of these people because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, I will send my son. God will come to us and he will be the savior of his people. Think of Old Testament history, what God has done. Just a few things. 
Read Genesis chapter 1 through 2. Is God powerful? Is He mighty? He said, let there be light, and there was light. Let the mountains, let there be the sea separate. Let there be animals. All these things. He creates Adam and Eve. God is mighty. He's powerful. Read Isaiah chapter 40. The greatness, the sovereignty of God in how He's control of all things and how the nations of this world look like a drop in the bucket. How it says He's sit enthroned above the heavens and we are like grasshoppers. You need to have a grasshopper theology in your life. And what I mean by that is you need to see God as great and mighty. Not that we are grasshoppers or that there's anything with incarnation or or, uh, reincarnation that we'd come back as grasshoppers. What I mean is we need to see that we are created beings in the image of God and that we are underneath the sovereignty and the power and the might and glory of God. Read Isaiah chapter 40. Read Job chapter 38 through 41 in which God says, Job, let me correct you. And he goes into a whole list of things that God did, created, what he's done. And Job is like, whoa, I am wrong. Read through the word of God and it will point out and teach you the wonderful things that God has done. How his mighty, powerful hand has shown himself. In verse 40 or 50, he says, his mercy is for those who fear him. And you may ask the question, how does the mercy and the fear of God go together? You cannot have a godly fear as the word of God teaches or a reverence to even worship God and give him glory without faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have a godly fear until you come to the Lord God Almighty because you've heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes to believe in the work of Jesus Christ. And you therefore then have a reverence and an awe and a fear before the Lord God Almighty. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In a few other passages in which it speaks of in the book of Proverbs, the fear of God, it says, for those who do not fear God, they're fools. Think of your life before coming to Christ. You were a fool. You say, don't call me a fool. Yes, you were a fool. I was a fool. We are foolish people. And the reason that means of this foolishness is we think in our mind that we are greater than God. We think in our mind we don't need God. And it's until that point when the fear of the Lord comes rightly because of the work of the Holy Spirit through believing in the gospel of Jesus that you can rightly worship God in awe. It says there in verse 51 that he has shown his strength. Think through the ways in the Old Testament when you read how God showed his strength. Read Exodus chapter 7 through chapter 14 when the nation of Israel had been in captivity under Pharaoh and God sends Moses and Moses is like, Pharaoh, let God's people go. And he's like, no way. Who is this God? And all this trash that he says to Moses and one by one, God does this work and he shows his hand through all of these plagues upon the nation of, uh, of Egypt. And finally, at one point, then Pharaoh relents because of the mighty hand of God. The nation of Israel goes free. And you think, well, that's awesome. But then they come to the Red Sea. 
Imagine the Red Sea party in which the nation of Israel, possibly a million people, crossing, it says, on dry land to the other side. I mean, when you read the mighty, wonderful things of God, we could go on for hours and hours and days and days of these things. If you read through Exodus 7 through chapter 14, there's a song that Moses sings afterwards, of again, giving glory to God. Look back in our text here in verse 51. It says he's scattered the proud. Go back to the book of Genesis. Read about the Tower of Babel. The people that were gathered on the earth at that time tried to build this huge thing that they were going, we're going to, in a sense, make ourselves God. And God stirs up their language and they all scatter. But because of the pridefulness of their hearts. It says in verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. You read Daniel chapter 4 and King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was the one who looked about his kingdom is like, look what I have created. And God said, oh, hold on a second there. Nebuchadnezzar, you're going out to the field to act like a cow and eat grass for a period of time because you have not humbled yourself. In Acts chapter 12, there's a guy named Herod Agrippa I, and he comes out and sits on his throne. He's got this robe and the sun shining on him, and he begins to speak to the people, and all the people are like, oh, the voice of a God. And because he didn't humble himself and give glory to God, it says an angel struck him, and he was eaten by worms. You're like, that's in the Bible? Yeah, that's in the Bible. People who do not humble themselves before the Lord, the Lord will humble it says there in verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their throne. He has exalted the humble. Think through the Old Testament, the people that God exalted. Go back to Genesis, read about the life of, of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was then in prison. He comes to a point where he's restored to this position, second of, uh, under Pharaoh of all over Egypt. At the end of his, his uh, when his father died, his brothers are there and he's brought a restoration to them. And they're fearful that after dad's gone, he's going to do something to them. And he says, what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. And so God exalted Joseph. He exalted Moses who said he couldn't speak and to lead the people out of Egypt. He exalted that shepherd boy, David, and made him king over Israel. He exalted a woman named Esther and she was brought in as the queen at a time for such a time as this in which God wanted to do a work and bring his people out for oppression. And on and on, Daniel yeah, the one who was thrown in the lion's den, the one that prayed. He was made a leader among the nation. God never allowed his people to be completely overthrown and destroyed. And so when you read that God scatters the proud, he brings down the mighty from their throne, that he exalts the humble. I would point out that this is a clear declaration of the sovereignty of God. You look at our nation right now, and there's so much either joy or great frustration over a presidential election. And we put so much into that, that our emotions are so moved by that more than it is to be moved by the word of God. And I would remind you of what Daniel says in Daniel chapter two, verse 21 about the Lord God almighty. He changes times and seasons. 
He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So if you're a follower of Christ this morning and you're in turmoil over our nation right now, would you just take a deep breath? Would you just realize and recognize from God's word that he is sovereign? He puts kings in their place and he takes them out. He humbles the prideful and he exalts his people. And he's made great and wonderful promises that he will return. And he's made the promises for his people that if you're going through struggle, through trial, through persecution as you walk this earth, it should be no surprise because he said it would happen. And he teaches you through the trials and he will bring you through. So hold to the sovereignty of God. Hold to the truth of God's word. And uphold that and exalt him and worship him. And pray that God would move in this world in mighty and powerful ways that he would call people to himself and give himself the glory. Too many people believe in luck. They believe in chance. But all truth, all that happens is by the providence of God. I love this passage in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Sometimes when we're playing some game with the kids and we got some dice and we're shaking it up, you're blowing on it. I'm like, I don't know why we blow on it. It's like, oh, I hope I, you know, it's like to get luck or something. It's like stupid. But it's like you're doing, you throw the dice and it's like, wait a minute. That's the picture of God casting, as the dice is cast, that the outcome is what he plans for. The outcome is what he does. The outcome is within his will. Nothing is ever outside of that sense of what God has planned and his will. He knows all before it ever happens. So it says in verse 53, he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Verse 53 there, it says he has filled the hungry with good things. A reference to Psalm 107 verse 9, which says, for he sustains the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Is your soul longing for the good things, the righteousness of God? Is your soul hungry and thirsting for the righteousness of God? If it is, invest that hunger, invest that thirst into the word of God with prayer that the Holy Spirit would stir that in you, that you would rightly praise God for what he has done. It says there that he has sent the, sent the rich away empty and he has helped Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Micah chapter 7, a prophet of God says this in verse 20. You will show faithfulness to Jacob. And steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Two weeks ago, we began this Advent series in the book of Romans, looking to the covenant that God made with Abraham, the promises that he made to his people, and that he would fulfill every single one of them, the greatest being sending his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And Mary praises God because it says he's helped Israel in remembrance of his mercy as was promised to Abraham this morning, we can praise God because he has fulfilled his promises and his promise to return and to glorify his people, to be with him for all eternity is a promise to come that we will see fulfilled. 
And if you're not a part of the kingdom of heaven, you don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. You don't care about what God does or doesn't do. You will be separated from him forever. You will still see that promise fulfilled of his return, but you'll be separated from him Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord, your God, is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So let's bring this all here in a summary. Mary's worshiping God. Whether she speaks it out at that moment or sings it out to her at that moment, she has a right posture of, uh, before the Lord. She praises God rightly out of the knowledge of who God is. And she is grateful and is praising the Lord with great thanksgiving for all of his wonderful, glorious works. So I'd point you back to where we started. Sing and rejoice for the blessings that flow from the nature of God. I pray that you would be able to worship the Lord, not just in song, but in your life, in your words, in your actions, because of what God has done for you. As the worship team comes up, I would remind you of one of many verses to reflect on, to rightly worship God. It's from Romans 11, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Listen to the word of God and the description of the God that we worship. It says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him. And to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen? Would you take a minute? Would you just reflect quietly? Think about God, his names. Think about what he has done. Think about what he has promised to do. And ask the Lord to remove from you all the things that may be distracting you this morning that is of the world Maybe there's things that you need to repent of today and say, Lord, I've been trusting myself and I've not been trusting in you. Lay that before the Lord in this moment of quietness together.